sure why the music came on louder when I came up to speak, but I'll try not to say that personally. Um, oh, it's so good to be with you, and we are, uh, yeah, we're closing in on Christmas, a couple of weeks to go, two weeks today, and it will be Christmas Day. We uh, love embarrassing people in this church, and um, as you can tell, when we embarrassed Adrian, that was really good fun. And it's really good when you catch Adrian out, because often he knows exactly what's going on. I, on the other hand, am often caught unaware, because I have no idea what's going on most of the time. But Adrian always knows what's going on. So to catch him out like that is well done, guys. And well done, Adrian. That's great. Uh, We love doing that. And talking about embarrassing people, where did Eunice go? Did she sneak out? She's getting coffee. Could someone grab Eunice and tell her not to be getting coffee when I'm speaking? So I just need to borrow her for one second. Just so you know, I was all waiting for Eunice. Today we're going to be looking at the theme of hope. And that is not an invitation for any of you to talk about the England football team. Um, Eunice, as you know, we love embarrassing people in this church. So I'm just going to take a moment to embarrass you. Can I, um, Mose, can you just grab one of those mics for me? Or someone... Thanks, Mose. Yesterday, we had a bit of a fun day, didn't we? We did. I'm just going to wait for a mic to come because I want, I want them to hear from you what we did yesterday. Um, for those who don't know, Eunice heads up Rajesha, our project working um, with the sex workers in our city. And I think seeking God's kingdom to come in the middle of some of the darkest places in our city would be one of the ways I described it. And we've been on a journey of going, how do we, God, how do we help them? Before you, what could this look like? Not just a, a token effort, but like something yeah. deep. And what did we do yesterday? So yesterday, we had a graduation ceremony for five, we are calling them the Fantastic Five. Come on. <laughs> so if you don't know, my name is Eunice Mathu, by the way. And I am the founder and CEO of Rajesha Project Nairobi. And what we do, we restore dignity and hope to female sex workers in our city. So the last three months, we've been training, skills training, job skills training, business skills training, therapy, coaching for these ladies who say, I want to leave prostitution. Mm. So yesterday, we had a graduation. Come on. It was a party. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, we celebrated, amazing. and so we should. And we just want to honor you for all the work you're doing. So let's put our hands together for you, Eunice, guys. And we want to, and we just want to pray for you. Um, Barb, will you just come up? Um, Dee, do you want to come up? Anyone else, guys? Those of you who know Eunice or are involved, just come, just run up now. We're just going to literally pray for her uh, now. Faith, do you want to come up? Perhaps you want to come. Lord God. We thank you so much that you laid uh, these women on Eunice's heart many, many years ago. And Lord, I thank you, you've given her the courage of her convictions to follow you, um, to seek your kingdom coming in these ladies' lives. Lord, that you are helping her play um, kind of a role for you. Lord, uh, I love the way that she is modeling your heart by being with those on the margins. And Lord, we pray for your spirit to flow through her, flow in this project. 
that, Lord, you would continue to do the thing that only you can do through Rajesha. We pray you would bless her, bless the team, and come and do more, more, Lord, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Eunice. So good to hear about all that's going on. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, if you don't know where that is, in, it's in the New Testament, it's in the sort of last third of the Bible. And the way I always remember it is that after kind of the early letters, it has Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Or if you prefer, Gentiles eat pork chops. Okay, so if, you are, if you're looking for a way to remember it, that's the way to do it. We're going to be in Colossians 1, 24. I, um, uh, I, my first degree was in literature, and I have a deep love of, of words, of books, and, uh, and different things. But you know, it's really possible for words to lose their meaning or have their power removed by the kind of culture around us, where once tragedy used to describe a massacre or a death or something. We now use tragedy to, like, I got stuck in the rain. It was a tragedy. Or I burnt dinner. That's a tragedy. And, like, for sure it's inconvenient and it's upsetting, but it's not a tragedy. Or we use the word literally to not mean literally, but to add emphasis. I am literally starving. I haven't eaten since breakfast. You're not literally starving. (laughs) Even biblical words, saviour. A word that meant, biblically meant, you know, a deity with power to deliver the people. We now say someone who's done good things is a saviour. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, language evolves over time and that's great. It takes on different shapes and forms. But the problem is when we miss out what was originally kind of given by it. And today, as we're a couple of weeks from Christmas, I feel like this is the case with the word hope. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my great uh, heroes of the faith, said this, Christmas is more than a season of hope. It is an event of hope. Hope comes to the world, and his name is Jesus. I wonder what are your thoughts about Christmas. Maybe you're indifferent. Maybe you're a bit like me, and you've been kind of getting in the mood since middle of March. Maybe you're allergic to Christmas. Um, I feel singularly victimized for my enthusiasm in our team over Christmas. When I was growing up, I remember saying to my my mom, I said, Mom, my birthday is exactly three weeks after Christmas. I would love it if you would keep the tree up for my birthday. Would you do that? And she acquiesced to this suggestion. But it was soon followed my brother who said, well, my birthday is in another three weeks. It would be really unfair if you didn't keep the tree up for my birthday. So we left it up for my brother's birthday too. And after this had come and gone, my sister said, I can't be the only one in the family who doesn't have the tree up for their birthday. And we're like, but your birthday is at the end of April. So eventually, I think the tree came round, down about mid-May that year in our house. And if it's stuff like this which makes you sick about Christmas, I get it. And our hope perhaps for Christmas is, Lord, can it be over quickly? But I wonder if there's a different hope. Let's read uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. 
Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm just going to read another verse from Luke chapter 24. Don't worry about turning there. It'll come up on the screen. But Luke 24, this is the, the story of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. said this. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days when Jesus has just been crucified? And then Jesus says, What things? That's lovely. I think Jesus knew what things, but he says, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Lord God, we thank you for this season. We thank you that you came to the earth such as us. Lord, would you renew in us your sense of hope. Make us more like you, we pray. Amen. It might seem like a bizarre place to look at our, our Christmas theme uh, as we look at passages for after Jesus has died. But, and I think this is the problem, we can't take Christmas in isolation. It has to be a part of the bigger story. Or to quote one really serious theologian, Christmas taken out of its context will do our heads in. We have to take Christmas in context. So what about hope in our, in our moment? I, as you think about this year, I wonder what hopes you've had, what disappointments perhaps have gone along with them. And as you come in today, you know, we smile because we're in church and it's the right thing to do. But inwardly, I, I wonder if you're saying, like these people, I, I had hoped that. I'd hoped that I would get this job I'd hope that I'd get any job. I'd hope that my baby would sleep at night. I'd hope that I would meet this person or marry them. <clears throat> this, I'd hope that I would get better or this person would get better. I'd hope for a car, a house, a stability to find Jesus or you fill in the blank. And the, the kind of pastoral thing to say is, hey, just think Jesus and everything's going to be okay. But it doesn't feel like it. We sing the song, you're, you're never going to let me down. Yet for many of us, we're, we're stood there going, Lord, it feels like you're letting me down. If we were to break out of kind of religiosity for a moment and be authentic, there are questions surrounded by disappointments where we say, we had hoped, and what is going on here? I think it's really interesting in the, in the passage, the, the Emmaus Road passage, that only one of the disciples is named. And, and theologians think probably the most likely explanation is that this is a kind of a literary device so that we can imagine ourselves as the other person, living in that space of we had hoped. 
It's always hope in our moment. Well, often in our, in our time, it, it can mean like wishful thinking. Like, I hope the weather is good. I hope that my team win the World Cup. Or it can mean like just optimism is, is the best yet to come. I'm hopeful it will work out. But I've, looked at the, I've looked at the information, the stats. I hope it will work out. And essentially, we align hope with a, with a kind of dream or an informed wish. According to, to Google, which is a serious kind of theological force of our time for many people, hope is this. Always believe in yourself and hope for a better future. Hope and end are always there for everyone. Depends on us how we deal with them. A hopeless end or an endless hope. Chinese cracker wisdom, I think. Life can cause you to fall out of nowhere. Life can cause you to fall out of nowhere, but hope will always pull you up. Is this a person that's going to pull us up? Failure is, the, is only the beginning of the journey. With the hope, you can finish your goals. Someone said to me recently, they said, I'm sending you hopeful thoughts. How? What does that mean? I think the cultural message of hope is this. It's based on some abstract, mystical sense of reasoning with the basic human idea that we believe ultimately things will work out okay regardless of what we choose to do or not. But the world is full of pain and suffering and hurt. And you know, the irony is we're not wrong to have hope, but perhaps we've misplaced it. Hope has been placed in human progress or a new situation or a new job, or a new relationship, um, with the hope that the, these will solve the struggles of the human condition. We put hope in causes, in altruism, giving ourselves to things, hoping that it will change everything. And it doesn't. So what's the kind of Christian vision of hope? Because when we overlay this secular vision of hope, we get a distorted view of Jesus. Because this view of hope is not like the biblical view of hope. The biblical definition of hope is exclusively tied around relationship and around a person. You know, hope is not tied to an uncertainty of an event, but around uncertainty of timing and deliverance. So, for instance, when you go for a job interview and you hope you get it, you don't really know whether you're going to get it or not. And that's kind of like secular hope. But Christian hope is, is a bit like being in a church service, wondering when it's going to end. Like, you kind of know it's going to end. It's definitely going to end at some point. And often it feels like an age. But you know it is going to end at some point. Paul here has been at pains throughout Colossians to explain just who Jesus is. And there, here he puts into place in the hope that we have. This is the Christian vision of hope. Firstly, our Christian vision of hope is that it is in Christ. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is in Christ. Our hope is found not in a message or in a nice thought, but in a person. Hope is tied directly to Jesus. And this is the only reason for Christmas hope. Take Christ out of the occasion and, and Christmas becomes a small season of the year where we essentially hope for good luck for our friends. You see, the heart of hope is Jesus is here. Not kind of there or out there, but here an Advent, a season that we've been in, welcoming Christmas means to come. Jesus, you are here. 
So firstly, it's in a person, but it's more than just a person. This is Christ in you. And it might feel like just semantics, but it actually changes everything. Up until this point in the kind of uh, the God story in the Bible, we'd known, the people had known God with them, God alongside them. Like in the garden, they'd known God walking with them in the cool of day. They'd known God as a, a force in the Old Testament that fought with them in battle. And then in the Gospels, they'd known Jesus amongst them, kind of walking around with them, moving and doing the Jesus stuff wherever he went. But then it changes. When the Holy Spirit comes and fills the people, it becomes Christ in you, Christ in us. And our hope becomes this living reality firmly planted in us. And this is what Paul's been talking about, that our hope is no longer about what we can do, but about what Jesus will do in and through us. And this really centers our vision for hope. You know, our world wants us to find answers to hope out there in the external things we can change. But this hope is about what Jesus is going to do in us. You see, the the answer isn't out there. The answer's in here. And what Jesus is going to do in us. And this is, thirdly, the Christ that is in us that is the hope of glory. Now, um, we have kind of some misplaced theology on on glory. I don't know if any of you saw the, the wonderfully witty but terribly theological advert by Doom that had the, the big banner that said, promoted to glory. Have you seen that? It's got, like a, it's got a gravestone with a, a mosquito on it that, and the doom spray saying, promoted to glory. It's not what glory is. It's a funny advert, but it's not what glory is. Glory is not just about what happens when we die. It is that, but it's more about who we are becoming and what we'll become. And this secular idea buys into the idea of waiting around. We can wait idly around in the hope that something will change. But biblical hope is rooted in the response to what Jesus is doing in our life. See, we are active participants in hope. Where we are growing into who Jesus is in us, that we might become different people. The Christ in us is not a hope that means we can sit around forever hoping that things will change. I'm hoping for a new job. Apply for one. I'm hoping to, to, to do this. Well, start doing it. The Christ in us is not about sitting around forever and trying not to look bored in church. Some of you don't do it very well. And as though we were just simply waiting for heaven. But rather, who will we become in the here and now and into the future that will be part of God's kingdom breaking in to the world? This is the hope of what God wants to do. That God wants to break into our lives by the power of his spirit to change the narrative of our city. And finally, this is a hope that points in part to now, but in its fullest completion into eternity. As I look at kind of our our human secular vision of hope, it feels like kind of fleeting escapism. Christmas is a day to kind of forget the world as we know it. A lot of the stuff we have around Christmas is, can we just park the day? Park the rest of the stuff for this day. To live in indulgence and denial for a day. And that's okay, but it's not hope. It's escapism. It says in here, the mystery which is being kept hidden is the way that it's described in verse 26. The mystery which is being hidden for generations is now disclosed. The hope of glory 
This mystery is not like a, a murder mystery where you kind of hunt down the clues and we kind of move from a little bit of the truth to the whole truth. It's not that kind of mystery. It's more a mystery where we move from promise to fulfillment. Our hope is often fleeting, but this hope is more than that. This hope is beyond our moment, beyond our story or our circumstances. Some of you know, um, before our son Wilbur was born, we had a miscarriage. And we're going, where is the, where's the hope in this? Where is Jesus in this story? And I know some of you have similar, even more tragic stories around this. I remember in the days and the weeks to come, I would, I would kind of sit, and the only thing that I ever wanted to listen to in those weeks was, um, that, do you remember that old song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow? I remember I just listened to this song. It was driving everyone in our house crazy. But it kind of became this, like anthem because he lives I can face tomorrow and the truth of that hope because only if Jesus lives can we face tomorrow otherwise we're in continual need of escapism so what difference does this make as we close I just want to get really practical as we as we close in on this three quick things that change as a result of seeing hope in a different way With hope in Jesus, we are changed from being passive recipients of the forces of nature to active participants in what God is doing. The world's view is that hope is a random force, that we hope will go the right way. Eugene Peterson said this, Hope is a virtue cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy and it connects the two comings of Jesus so that we do not just remember the one and believe in the other to come, but we are participating in the continuity of the comings, the now and the not yet. Hope means we're caught up in a story and it's God's desire for our active involvement in that. You know, the larger context of this passage is Paul is explaining how Jesus has been at the centre. He created all and he holds all things together and he's the head of the church. He's reconciling all things to himself. Jesus on a mission to bring all things to himself. In verse 23, it says, in, in response to Paul's claim that we're brought by Christ to become as far as is possible like him through continuing our faith, established and firm, not moving out from the hope of the gospel. This means that what we do, what we give our time to, whether it's being a full-time parent A full-time student, if that's not a contradiction in terms. A cab driver, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, an artist, a coffee maker. Whatever it is, is part of the Jesus story. The question on a Monday is not, how do I survive this week? Though it often feels like it. But how can this week reflect what God is like and make the place I inhabit a bit more like Jesus? So two things I'd love us to do on this. Firstly, And I try and do this. I'm not very good at it, but when I do, it's helpful. Take five minutes for each day to commit it to Jesus, asking him to show up and guide you in what you do. And second, find someone to reflect through what you do and ask questions of it. I was with someone last night, and they were just doing this with me. They spent an hour just reflecting what I was saying to them and asking good questions of it. Can we slow down enough to be conscious of the things that we give our life to? Secondly, this, I think we move from simply waiting for heaven to becoming more like Jesus. All of us are disciples of someone or something. That's that's not the choice we have. Our only choice is what or who. 
And the challenge of this passage is that hope is not simply a future thing, but a present thing. The hope of glory. The hope of all we're becoming is about what God is doing in the here and now in us. What does it mean to be like Jesus? This is what Dallas Willard calls the upside down kingdom. What is the world that Jesus has and is ushering in through us? What does it mean to be like Jesus? Well, it means that we're accepted in weakness and not strength, learning to love others. And we love and we grow and we serve in his kingdom, not by taking power, but by following Jesus, by giving up power, by choosing to serve, by sacrifice. It means we see others like Jesus, not valuing strength and character, but valuing people as they are and where they are. We don't bow to the wealthy and the powerful, but we lift up those on the margins and the lost. Perhaps this week, just take 10 minutes to order your rhythms with Jesus. What do you do well? Where do you need help? Where do you need to change? And what practice of Jesus would you like to do to become more like him? Fasting, silence, solitude, community, feasting with those far from Jesus, praying for others, being in church regularly, and that doesn't mean once a month. What active step will you take this week to cultivate or further deepen a practice with Jesus? And then finally this, I think we are called to move from seeing Jesus as the mascot of our, of our faith to the source of our faith. I think the most important difference this hope makes is how we view Jesus himself. You see, the Christmas hope is not that God gives gifts. The Christmas hope is that God gives himself. When we talk about following Jesus, it's like he's become our mascot. He's the banner under who we congregate. He's the badge on our team shirts. We think of following as though it's something we might do on social media. Hashtag, Jesus says, live like him. I like that comment, but I won't change anything about what I do. Someone said we become the generation that confuses agreeing with being. That just because we agree with a comment means we've become like it and we haven't. Jesus doesn't need our likes. He needs us to become like him. To invite him once again. And the idea of Christianity is not that we have a better mascot, but that the source of our life is changed. Christ in us changes everything. So where this week will you invite the Holy Spirit in? I was back in the UK last week, and I woke up, and I just, I just remember saying, God, I'd love, to, I'd love you to speak to me today. I, I don't know what that looks like. And a couple of times has happened. Once was in the airport. And so I'm stood in the airport. The flight's delayed by three hours. This is in JK Airport. I'm stood there and going, okay, God, I'm really stressed. I don't want to be here. I'm stood with all this luggage. It's become a bit of a zoo. Like, what am I going to do? Like, how do I see you in the midst of this? And just next to me came this family. There, there was three of them, a small girl, mom and dad. And they were just... Just done. They've been traveling. She was exhausted. And I just felt prompted by, by God just to speak to them. I got to know them. And they were like, we're just so done with traveling. We're so exhausted. We've got, we had like a really short connection for our flight. We're now not going to make it. We're going to be stuck. All this. It was a nightmare. This poor girl looked just distraught. And I reached into my bag. And I've started doing this now because I was that judgmental parent for years who was like, I was like, can you not keep your children quiet on a plane? And now I have my own children, I realize what a hassle it is. So I actually now carry gifts with me in my bag to give to parents who are having a tough time on flight. And I took out of my bag one of the books that Wilbur and I had written together. And I said, could I just give you 
this, this book. And they was like, wow. And uh, they kind of sat there and just read it as a family. And the lady said to me, like said, we've been looking for a book to remember our safari by, and we couldn't remember, we couldn't find one at all. And you've given us this beautiful gift. And she said, so, so what do you do? I said, well, I work for a church. She said, why do you work for a church? Why are you a Christian? And I said, I used to be a messed up, broken person. I wasn't nice to people. And I hurt a lot of people along the way. But Jesus came in and changed me. I think that's the hope of the world. And she just went, wow, no one's ever said that. And I think that's what we're called to. The Holy Spirit moves in and breaks in. Where do we need to become less reliant on ourselves and more reliant on Christ in us? The hope of glory. The power of the Spirit working in and through us. Guys, will you stand with me as we close? We have some time just to just to take a moment. And I want us just to just maybe open our hands before God, open our hearts, and just wait on God and say, Lord God, what do you want to speak to me about? What do you want to say to me? We're just going to take a few moments in silence. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and speak to us? Would you come and give us dreams and visions? Would you come and encourage us, those who are feeling low and broken? Would you come and get alongside us, Lord? For those who feel like they're walking that road where... We're on the Emmaus Road and we, we'd hoped that it feels empty. Lord, would you come? Fill us by your Spirit, Lord.
couple of things God would like us to pray into. One of them is this sense of um, maybe those who'd hope that they wouldn't be weary. That their hope would be, oh, this year I'm not going to be weary by the end of the year. And you find yourself again weary. Just those words, you know, those who's hope is in you Lord and our strength will be renewed so maybe if you're here today you're feeling weary we'd just love to pray for you as a, as a church maybe if you just want to put your hands out in front of you feeling weary just put those hands out and say God I just want to receive from you I want to hear from you out we just need to pray for them if you see someone with their hands out there you just put a hand on them and say I'd love to pray for you if you're wondering if you're qualified for the prayer team if you love Jesus and you're breathing please get in there on this and it's not because we don't value prayers it's just just a few people need praying and God can work in and through our weakness so let's just lay hands on people about being prayed for always say don't worry God wants to to meet with us and we just want to we just want to be open to pray with one another and this is just one of the best ways we find to do it ask would you break in and do the thing that only you can do and Lord make us a people that are, are moving from being passive to actively participating in what you're doing and Lord we pray for your fire we pray that you'd move in our time but Lord our hope wouldn't be some, some vague kind of notion of what you've done in the past but Lord we would expectantly that you would move in our season and our moment 
I just feel particularly to pray for those whose children are far off. people that are walking away from the church. Lord, that we would would see revival in our time. Not just a couple of visitors turning up on a Sunday, but Lord, I pray you'd give the welcome teams of our church headaches in this generation. Come and do something unexpected, Lord. We place our hope in you, Lord Jesus maker of the heavens, 